Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 236 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, I'm giving my listeners a sneak peek into the book I'm writing. At the time of this recording, the first rough draft, called a vomit draft, (laughs) is completed. It took me six months of intentional writing, an average, I worked an average of one to two hours a day for six months. Some of those days I wrote for several hours, but the vomit draft is finally done. The next phase is rewriting, and the draft will go through several iterations. I will delete things. I'll add other things. I've got some beta readers who are helping me with these revisions, and I'm getting excited about what it will end up becoming when it's finished. My book chronicles my spiritual journey into ultra-conservative Christianity, including the whole Bill Gothard thing, Vision Forum, John Piper Calvinism, and so on. It also includes my deconstruction journey all the way through to where my faith has landed today. There are four parts to the book. I will tell you about parts two, three, and four down the road, but today I'm only going to give you a taste of part one. There are 31 chapters in part one. I know that sounds kind of scary, but these are all short vignettes that are very easy to read. They are written from the perspective of my little self because it's mostly my childhood that I'm writing about in part one. I hope you enjoy this sneak peek and that you'll be inspired to join me on this journey toward God. Introduction to part one. Trauma is not what happens to us, but what we hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. Peter A. Levine, Waking the Tiger. Every human being needs to be seen and known by another. An empathetic witness, as Peter Levine puts it. This is how we experience love, connection, healing. When a person experiences life alone without anyone to see, hear, or understand what she has gone through, or even worse, when she's told that it's all in her head or that she's making a big deal out of nothing or that she deserves it, she'll experience trauma. That trauma will permeate and impact every area of her life unless she is able to metabolize it with an empathetic witness, both within herself and outside of herself. I've invited my younger self to tell part one of my story from her perspective. In asking little Natalie to do this, I'm giving her space to share her experiences and I'm offering to be her adult empathetic witness. While her life seemed to be wholesome and full of love to the average outsider, she was missing an empathetic witness for many of her childhood experiences, and her body held that trauma inside, influencing her thinking and impacting her relationships in profound and confusing ways. Please excuse me. I'm so sorry for interrupting, but I did have an empathetic witness. I don't remember a time when I wasn't aware of a big presence inside of me. Like someone was watching me. That presence was my empathetic witness. And I loved it, even though I didn't know what it was. That presence kept me fighting to find the truth in the midst of a lot of liars, liars, pants on fires. I just want to make sure you know that. I didn't mean to ruin your book or anything. Oh, darling girl, this is your book. You are welcome to jump in at any time. I value your voice. 
dear reader, she's right. Little me usually is. All these years and experiences later, I have come to see that for me, the one who created the universe, the quark, and little girls and boys has been the empathetic witness I've needed to process trauma and weave those experiences into something transcendent. Isn't that what Jesus promised when he said, it is for your benefit that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. John 16, 7. The adventurous journey for me has always been about discovering that empathetic witness in the tangled maze of religious programming that taught me about a different God, a terrifying God, a God who hated divorce, but whom I would ultimately need to divorce in order to find the creator love. I offer this book to the many survivors of emotional and spiritual abuse who never had an empathetic witness and desperately needed one. Here's mine. To me, he is capital L, love. Christ, creator, source, God, my friend. This spirit is in me and this spirit is in you, whether you have ever experienced it or not. What if we can clear some of the clouds of fear and shame away even just a bit so we can catch a glimpse of this empathetic witness right there inside of you? I promise Love is watching you from within. I also offer this book to those readers who know and love humans. Your destiny is to continue the work of the great empathetic witness by offering your own eyes, ears, and heart as an empathetic witness for others. This is love in action. This is how we heal ourselves and others. And this, dear friend, is how we change the world. Chapter 1. Ball Baby I'm a ball baby. I ball when I have to get dressed. I ball when I have to wipe the dishes. I ball when my youngest sister, Alice, jumps extra spaces in sorry. And I tattletale on her and mom gets mad. I'm five years older than Alice, which makes me old enough to be good. And she isn't old enough to not skip spaces yet. I ball when I have to take a nap. I stare at the flower patterns in the sheets until the flowers rearrange themselves into eyeballs and noses and mouths. And then I ball. I'm not scared. I'm bored. The good news is that I don't ball as much as my other little sister, Marcy. She gets first place in the ball baby contest. It's comforting to know I'm not the worst baller. That's got to count for something. I took ballet lessons one year and my mom made me a silky red ballet costume. There were twinkling sequins on the skirt and I felt like a princess when I wore it. I wanted to take tap lessons like my friend Paula down the street. She has her very own pair of shiny black patent leather tap shoes which she let me use once and I got to try out a tap lesson after my ballet class. That day I learned to shuffle ball, ball change over and over. Shuffle ball, ball change. The clicky clicks were so satisfying, and I tried to make them fall into the kinds of musical patterns Shirley Temple's tap shoes made, but mine sounded like a clumsy elephant. Still, if only I could have kept taking dance lessons, I might have been able to dance like Shirley. I loved it so much, but Mom said I argue too much, so I bawled about it. I'm ungrateful for the year of ballet. 
I don't deserve to take dance lessons. I'm trying to figure out the trick for how to make things turn out happy, but I always end up bawling. I bawl when I have bad dreams about Alice falling into the seal pool at the zoo. I bawl when I think about mom dying. I bawl when I think about how our house could burn down. You never know about the future, and there are so many bad things that can happen. It's like there's a part of me who thinks if I bawl about it, the bad things won't happen. Mom says I even bawled a lot as a baby. She would walk the floor with me all night long just to stop me from bawling. My little sister Alice does not bawl. She cries in a sad sort of way that makes your heart break. When she cries, my mom scoops her up and loves her until she's happy again. She's just a tiny little thing and has good reasons to cry. But I am a great big thing, five years older than she is, and I have no good reasons to bawl. Shut up or I'll give you something to bawl about, mom sometimes reminds me, so I try to keep the bawling quiet. But bad noises just keep coming out like a volcano. I'm kind of gross that way. I go to my room and shut the door and try to bawl into my pillow so she won't know. I imagine what it would be like if she came in and hugged me when I'm bawling. My mom's hugs fill me with all the good feelings, and I love it. When she sings, you're the end of the rainbow, my pot of gold, and tickles my arm. But when I'm bawling, she stays away. I have bad breath and snot coming out of my nose, and who would want to be around someone like that? I remember once when my aunts and uncles and cousins all came over for Thanksgiving and I was naughty, I talked back. I was rude. My stomach had heavy rocks in it and my face burned red hot. I wanted to disappear. If I disappeared, I would not bother everyone anymore. If I disappeared, maybe people would miss me. I wanted to be missed. I decided to run away. I packed a few things in a box and went to the garage where I could stay until someone wondered where I was and came to find me. It would feel good to know someone missed me. It was cold and dark and quiet, and this was where a big, naughty girl belonged. She didn't belong in a house full of pumpkin pie, laughter, and hugs. When I ran away, I had to walk through the kitchen first, and I noticed that one of my aunts rolled her eyes and smiled secretly at my mom. They didn't see me notice this. After a while in the garage, I felt cold, and nobody came to find me. I quietly slipped back inside and looked around at my relatives from the corners of my eyes to see if anyone missed me. But they just kept talking and laughing like I wasn't there, like they never knew I was there or not there. I went to my room and bawled. I made sure to do my bawling on the floor beside, behind my bed in case anyone walked in. Another day I was wiping dishes and I must have been just as naughty as I could be because all of a sudden I felt my face meet the countertop. I don't remember wanting to put my head down on the countertop, but there I was. My head hurt and my face stung. I slowly raised my head to look at mom, wondering if she saw what happened. She did. She had a look on her face I've never seen before. It was mad and surprised and regretful all at the same time. My front tooth 
was broken. Damn, she said. That word coming out of my mom's quiet voice hit me just as hard as a countertop hit my face. My mom can yell like nobody's business, and she does, but she never swears because she is a Christian. I knew it was my fault, she swore. I was sad and scared. Why am I so naughty? It cost my dad a lot of money to fix my tooth, and all because I'm a ball baby. My dad works hard every day, and he is quiet and funny and good. He never yells or gets mad. He doesn't deserve to have a daughter like me. I need to try harder to be good. I think about what it would be like to be dead. Sometimes I imagine myself on the ground with my mouth gaping open and my eyeballs rolled back. I imagine my mom finding my poor dead body and picking me up and rocking me back and forth, so sad and sorry to see me gone. She would cry and cry and I would feel her rocking, rocking, rocking me in my deep dead sleep. I would like that. If I were dead, I would not be rude and ugly and bawling all the time. I would just be quiet and easy to love. And I would only cry when I had a very, very good reason. And it would just break your heart. Once I asked my mom if she would feel sad if I died. But she said thinking about one's own death was selfish and dramatic. Damn. Little Natalie, I read these words and feel so much affection for you. Every single tear was like a little jewel, rich with meaning. Feeling deep emotions and crying is part of being human, and you were entering into the fullness of your own humanity. I'm so proud of how you showed up for your life. I admire how you jumped in all the way. Splash! And by the way, thinking about your own death is not selfish or dramatic. It's human. Hey, you are human! And that's all you need to be. Chapter 2. The Get Out of Hell Free Card I'm walking down the hall of an old church in white patent leather shoes and a hand crochet jumper. This building is not like the little neighborhood church my family walks to on Sunday mornings with the sun streaming in the big windows and the little nursery full of chubby babies. St. Timothy's. I never met St. Timothy, but I liked his church. This is Carrie's church, and it's called Souls Harbor. Weird. Carrie is the neighborhood girl my mom babysits, and the grown-ups drop us off in a room full of kids I've never seen before. They're not from my school, and I have butterflies in my stomach. Carrie and I find seats in the middle row and sit down. I briefly consider crawling under my chair to hide, but I know the pretty teacher will get mad at me if I don't sit up straight and listen, and I want her to like me. She starts talking, so I settle in. This is church, and I know what to do in church. I will show her how good I am. The teacher tells us about heaven and hell and how Jesus loves the whole wide world and has the whole thing in his hands. I can feel the kids fidgeting around me, all of us wishing we were home eating bologna sandwiches with lots of butter. But when she announces that everyone is going to hell, to burn forever and ever, amen, in the everlasting fires with the demons because God is so holy he can't look at any of us wretched sinners, my ears perk up. This is important information. Pay attention. Her face suddenly brightens as she tells us there is good news. Jesus loved the whole wide world so much that he died and went to hell 
so we wouldn't have to. And then three days later, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He beat the devil at his own game. And now if people will just invite him into their heart, they can go to heaven instead of hell. That's it? All I have to do is pray a prayer? Sign me up. And as if the teacher is reading my mind, she says, would anyone like to pray this prayer with me and invite Jesus into your heart? I immediately raise my hand. This is a no-brainer. I can tell the teacher is happy when she sees my hand in the air. We walk out the door to the hallway, and I wonder why I'm the only one taking her up on the offer of a ticket to heaven. The rest must have already invited Jesus into their hearts. Makes sense. They're used to the soul's harbor way, and I'm not. Nobody at St. Timothy's told us about this important information, so I didn't know about the get-out-of-hell-free card, but thank God I do now. <laughs> Let's do this. She prays a prayer while I bow my head and close my eyes and fold my hands to make double certain sure it will work. Prayer is serious business. When she's done, she gives me a tiny white Bible with some verses in big letters. I hold it in awe, thinking about how my dolls will love it. This is a big day. I know that something important has just happened, and now Jesus lives in my heart. Plus, a pretty teacher likes me. Plus, I'm not going to hell. Plus, I have a new dolly book. It's a miracle. I will never forget this day as long as I live. Little Natalie, that little prayer and little white Bible are sweet. Yes, but I've got a little secret. Those things were not your first encounter with God. God was with you when you were being formed in your mother's womb, and God is embedded in your DNA. You are made in the image of your creator, and nothing can separate you from that love, precious one. We're going to skip a few chapters, and I'm going to read to you chapter 7 called Lunch Lady. We have two lunch ladies at our school, the fat one and the skinny one. They're both meaner than the German shepherd who lived across the street in my old neighborhood, and I never saw either of them smile until the day of the swear word. I keep quiet in the lunchroom because if someone notices me, they'll make fun of me. I sit by Lori, and we mind our own beeswax. Lori's last name is Sletten, which sounds like Sletten, so that's what they call her. I'm Jesus Freak, and she's Sletten, sometimes Slut for short. Anyway, some of the kids were saying swear words, and the skinny lunch lady came over with a scowl on her face. What am I hearing over here? I shrank. I get scared when grown-ups get mad. One of the boys pointed in my direction and said, She took God's name in vain. I looked around me in horror. Who took God's name in vain? I didn't hear anyone doing that. I heard some other swear words, but not that one. Who was he talking about? And then I saw her beady black eyes narrow in on me. Me! She thought I took the good Lord's name in vain. That's impossible. I'd never be the apple of God's eye if I did that. Also, my mom would have a heart attack. I was so, so careful to never even say gosh or golly for fear of sliding down the slippery slope. I swallowed nervously and croaked, I didn't say that. She must not have heard me because she barked, Take your lunchbox to the wall, face the wall, and eat your lunch there, and no more swearing. My body was on fire with a guilty feeling. I took my Walton's lunchbox to the cement wall and practiced my skills at not bawling. I was getting good at that. 
Hot tears would threaten to tumble out, but I held my breath in my choked throat and mustered all my muscles to keep them in. I could hear the kids laughing. That night, I told my mom what happened. She taught me that when people do mean things, we should show love back. That's the Christian way. So I drew and colored a picture for the skinny lunch lady and wrote, I am sorry for being bad. I hope you have a nice day. When I gave it to her the next day, the crabby skinny lunch lady smiled. It's a wonderful thing to spread love to crabby people. Be nice and make them smile. The Christian way works. Oh, and don't forget to say you're sorry no matter what. It hurts to be accused of something you didn't do, little Natalie. I feel your pain of rejection and betrayal. I'm with you in your perceived loss of your personhood, but know that nothing is truly lost. I hold your reality and your truth close to my heart where it will always and forever matter. You did your best to offer forgiveness to hurting children and love to a lunch lady. And one day you will grow up and offer forgiveness and healing love to yourself as well. Okay, that is all I have for you. This is actually, some of you are like, wait a minute, this is not, I listened to this before and it's not the same thing. And you're right, it's not the same thing. I recorded this episode a few months ago and then I ended up releasing it. And But I, what I did is I, I had changed the whole first part of the book. And so the recording was uh, reflected the way the book was before, and now it's completely different. So I actually re-recorded it. So the beginning of this episode is the same as the original one, and this whole middle part is completely different. And now I don't have an ending because I'm not going to hand it over to my editors and have them do a a new ending. Um, It is what it is. We're just going to end right here. There is going to be, there are going to be three more parts coming up, parts uh, two, part three, and part four, and I'm going to share those with you. I did record those parts quite a while ago as well, and some of those parts have changed too. However, I don't think I'm going to update those. I'm just going to let you have them the way that they are when I recorded them. But just, I just want you guys to understand that this is a creative process, writing a book, and um, the original um, draft that I shared these episodes from was the, was the vomit draft. It was like the, it was just everything dumped on, onto paper. And I actually have cut about one third of that draft out now and also rearranged and changed a lot of things in the two thirds that, ha- that I've left. And you know what? As we go through the editing process over the next few months, it will probably change again. It'll go through some different iterations. So bear with me. And also just bear with the fact that this episode is not going to end the way it usually does. No traditional ending here. We're just going to abruptly end it. Um, Yeah, that's all I have for you. Uh, Until next time, fly free.